All right. Well, what a good morning it is as we had the privilege of celebrating uh, with James and his baptism. And uh, we're just so thankful for the way that God is at work in the life of this church. With Easter coming up and Good Friday, uh, I, I know it's easy to overlook that we have a vision night slash town hall uh, next Sunday evening, and uh, that'll be a great time to get together as a church, to take communion together, to worship together some, hear about how things are going, and hear from our trustees with some important information uh, about things coming up in the future uh, for our church. And so if you can, uh, please uh, make uh, every effort to be here next Sunday night for that. If you are new with us this morning, whether that's online or on campus, we are so grateful that you are here and we would love to know who you are. Please text the word connect to the number that is on the screen and one of our staff members will follow up with you this week. And we'd also be happy to answer any questions that you might have. As you're new to a church, whether it's the first time you've been to church in a long time or ever, or maybe it's just a new church, you're definitely going to have questions because you're kind of jumping in, and usually there's a lot of other things going on, and so uh, we want to answer those questions for you. In fact, today, you might kind of be like, what fully is going on as I talk? Because we have been in a series called Live Sent for almost three months now, and as we wrap up Live Sent, we are doing some housekeeping. Um, you can turn to Romans chapter 10 if you have a Bible or the phone, a Bible on your phone, and we're going to start there. That'll be the base of where we are this morning. But what we're doing today and, and over the last, you know, last week, today, and next week is I'm making sure that we've covered uh, some foundations to living scent, that we've clarified some foundations to living scent. Last week, we talked about what is the gospel, and, and so what it, why do we really need to share the gospel? And, and, and we talked about what is happening in our culture, what's happening with people, and why it is essential that we are gospel-centered. And today, what I want to talk about is what it looks like or could look like to live sin. So we've been talking about all this, and I hope today to really answer the question, what does it look like to live sin? What does it look like for this to happen in my life? Let me, let me start in Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read in verse 13, the apostle Paul says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Today, I want to address this problem that Paul is presenting in this text and how we are really the answer to this problem. We are the solution to this problem that he presents. And what I want to do today is, is provide an acrostic to help you to live sent, to be the ones who are sent that this text 
talks about. It is obvious today how important I think this is just based on the style of today's sermon and the heavy focus on application today. How we are just essentially spending our whole time together talking about what this looks like is great, uh, puts great emphasis on how important I believe this is. So using the word live, I just want to give you some tools, talk about what it looks like to really live sin as we've talked about. So we'll start with the letter L and I'll say this, to live sin, we should love and listen. We should love and listen. The thread of this series, the theme of this series is love for God is why we live sin. It's love for God that is why we live sent. We began with, back in January, the first Sunday in January, with the story of Isaiah and his vision of God on the throne and his recognition of God's holiness. And then God making him pure, God cleansing him from his sin. And it was in response to that that Isaiah said, here am I, send me. It is the love of God, the realization of who God is that motivates us to be people who live sin. It is not a pastor's uh, beating on whatever he uses to preach on every week that is our motivation. It's not societal guilt that is our motivation. It's not achievement that is our motivation to live sin. It is that we know who God is and we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. The Father's heart is very clear that love for God and love for people are the most important things about us. In fact, Jesus clarified in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, when he's asked this question, verse 34 says, the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. And so when that happened, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, an expert in the word and the application of the word, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice this in verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says, if you want to obey God, if you want to know what it means to follow God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All examinations of our life, of how we are doing as Christians, should tie back to this. Do I love God and do I love people? Is that what has captivated me? Is that my goal, that I would love God and that I would love people? Is that what I want to be said about me above all things is that I was a man or I was a woman who loved God and loved people? Is that what is overflowing in my speech? Is that what is demonstrated in my actions? And am I proclaiming the gospel because I love God and I love people and I realize the most important thing for them is to be connected to God? 
Almost every sports movie that I've ever watched has like this, you know, it's usually some band of misfits or there's some kind of crazy thing going on and they, they get, to, get it together and they start doing well and then they, you know, kind of go through this about 75% into the movie where things start kind of falling apart and somebody has to rally them together and say, remember, we get to play baseball or we get to play football or whatever it may be. We, we, we got to remember our love for this game and why it is we do what we do. And I'm telling you that for Christians, if you were to say, why are we not doing the things that God has called us to do? It is because we have lost our first love. It is because we are not people who are motivated by love of God and love of people. And that should be the source for all this. I am not trying to get you to apply any of this without loving God, without loving people. That's where this has to come from. And if we love God and we love people, we listen to God and people. If you love God and people, you listen to God and people. We listen to God. In a marriage, you are supposed to understand your spouse. In fact, the Bible tells husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That means study your wives. And, and it's a test that the answers are constantly changing, just so you know. And, but we're to live in a way where we really get to know them and know who they are and, and know how to love them. And the same goes for a wife that she should be trying to learn her husband, listen to her husband, listen to his needs. That is how a marriage should work. And that's how our relationship with God works. We should be trying to get to know him and what matters to him. We should be spending time in the word, hearing his will. We should be in church. We should be in biblical community where God is speaking to us through other believers and encouraging us through other believers. We should be serving because he came not to be served, but to serve. And so we learn and know him as we serve together with God and with other people. We should be giving because where we give to God, we're trusting him. We're trusting his will in our life. And ultimately, we should be people who are trying to reach people because that is what God has called us to do and he speaks to us in that. So we love God and we listen to God, but we also love people and we listen to people. We need to hear. Do they understand the gospel? Not are they familiar with the idea of Jesus or some generic version of Christianity, but they really understand where they stand with God and, and who he is. Do they have needs that maybe I could meet to help them to see their worth in Christ? What questions do they have that they're wrestling with that perhaps no one has answered? If we love people, we listen to them. We want to have this kind of intentionality as we love God and listen to God and love people and listen to people. The next thing is the letter I, and that's invest and invite. As we are loving and listening, we invest and we invite. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, this is the great commission before he ascends to heaven. He says, go therefore, which means you're about to go. So as you go, and make disciples of all nations. You're going anyway, so as you go anyway, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the great commission. As we go, which we are going to go, we go, even during COVID, we go make disciples. I'll say it this way. The rhythms of our life should revolve around making disciples. Maybe you want to use the word routine. Maybe you want to use the word pattern, but I'll use that word rhythms. The rhythms of our life should revolve around making disciples. The things we do should have the purpose of Jesus in mind if we are followers of Jesus. And his purpose for us is as we go, we show people what it means to follow Jesus. And so that involves two things. Perhaps it involves reclaiming existing rhythms. We need to reclaim existing rhythms. Where are you going? Who is there? And how can you make disciples? You are going places. There are people there. How can you make disciples? Most, many of you work for a living. At your job, there are people there who you interact with. How can you invest in them and invite them? Some of you have the opportunity to have a lot of conversations as you work. For some of you, it would be you need to invite them to spend time with you or you need to go to things with them outside of work. But you have these opportunities at work. Now, some of you don't work. A lot of stay-at-home moms in our community, but yet you go to places with your children like the playground. And there are other stay-at-home moms at the playground. Your kids are involved in a lot of stuff. In this community, that is for sure. And there are people there. You are on social media. And these are opportunities for you to connect with people and invest in them and invite them in your life. Now, I want to say this. As a pastor, and probably because of my age, but there have been tons of young families and stay-at-home moms in both churches I've pastored, the most effective people I have seen at investing and inviting in people's lives are moms. And yet, you think, because I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm inefficient. Here's why. Satan wants you to think that. You are the most effective tool for the advancement of the gospel on earth. Don't believe lies. Don't believe I need to get through this season of my life. No, do this season of your life with other people. And invest and invite people. Because there are people who are in your season of life who believe those lies and don't know the truth of the gospel. And you can speak into that. Don't believe lies. Some of us are in school, students. You are around people all day who are searching for their identity. So much so that they jump on weird fads and all that stuff. But that's another time. They're clearly searching for their identity. And you have the opportunity to invest and invite in other students. If you're going to college, you know how people say so many people walk away from the faith when they go to college? You know why that is? It's because people are so open to new ideas and wherever they belong, they tend to go with those new ideas. Church, flip that. Be in the community, be in society at your college, and you invite people who don't belong and show them their worth in Christ. Flip that. I, I, that's not like I'm trying to cuss and saying flip that. I mean like literally reverse that. 
Sorry, as I said that, I realized that. And, and a lot of our families, we have children in schools and other families are in school and that's an opportunity. I love that people say the church isn't in school anymore. Yeah, we are. Many of us are. And, and prayer isn't in schools. Are you kidding me? My kids have tests coming up. We're praying. There are all kinds of needs to be met if we will invest and invite as we do that. Maybe there's clubs you can be a part of, activities you're already a part of, interest, things you love doing. Just reclaim these rhythms for the purpose of investing and inviting people. But, but, but maybe you need to begin some new rhythms. I, I have had people often say, you know, I don't really have people who aren't Christians around me on a regular basis. And if that is indeed true, then you need to make some changes in your life as a Christian. So perhaps, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, we need to be more intentional in our neighborhoods. We need to be out on the front porch more, in the front yard more, and see what happens. See who we might get to interact with as we do that. Perhaps we just do something we love doing with a dual intention of I'm going to have fun doing this and I'm going to invite people and ultimately get to invest and invite in people's lives. My friend Randy Ward, who's a member of this church, he's, he's a single adult. He typically attends the 11 o'clock service. He's really into Dungeons and Dragons. I am not. That's his deal, not my deal. But he sees it as an opportunity where they spend hours playing some boring game. I'm sure he loves it and his friends love it. And they get to have these great conversations. It's a great opportunity. He's different than me. But for him to use that for the glory of God. Jeff Waits, uh, who's a retired member of our church, he golfs a lot. And he has tons of relationships with people who do and do not go to church through going out and golfing. In fact, he's invited me to have lunch with a few of these friends. He never invites me to golf, though. And I think it's because when they realize how bad his pastor is at golf, there's not a chance for coming to church with him. But um, he's doing that. Laura Lee Walker is just everywhere she goes. She thinks, how can I include people? How can I talk to people? How can I get to know this person? These are opportunities. And we just do the things that God, we enjoy doing. You don't have to like go stand on the street corner and feel awkward. You just go and invest and invite in people. Okay, and, and, and so I would just say this too, like churches have all these interest groups and we don't really have all this interest groups. This church is the chess church club and the whatever church club and all that. No offense, but all you're doing is you're getting a bunch of people who are in the world to come on campus and then only hang out with Christians. That's not how we're gonna do things. That's not how we should be doing things. What we should do is we should find a few people in our church who have an interest and then go do that elsewhere. And in fact, that's a great idea. And I'm asking Steve Renna to figure out how we can start doing that. Because you just find something and you go do that elsewhere, asking people to be in your life. What are the things that we do on campus? Perhaps you, if you don't have non-Christian friends, that you could do off campus. I mean, we shouldn't start church leagues. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with church league softball and good intentions start that, but most people do church league softball because it's um, less competitive and less profanity, but have you ever actually played church league softball? Yes. It's often more profanity and more competitive. We need to be out in the city leagues, meeting people, investing in people together as believers. What Bible studies could we do somewhere that's not on a church campus where people might be more open to attending who don't consider themselves a part of the church? What 
other things can we do? Our senior adults, what can we do in the senior center that our community provides instead of on our campus so we might interact with people who do not go to church? And, and you know, in, 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 in Niceville, it's interesting because like a lot of us fill our time with stuff with our church and then we end up doing other church stuff too. So we're literally spending, maxing out all of our time with our people from church and people from other churches like parachurch stuff and we're rarely out in the community. And our, our community feels like, you know, Christville, right? Like Churchville, I guess you would call it. Like the, there's a Bible Belt and we're the buckle, right? Like that's how it feels. Well, we're certainly close to the notch, you know, because we're not as big as Dallas and all those places, but we're close there. But 75% of our community doesn't attend church regularly. So of the people you know, do 75% of them not attend church regularly? If not, we probably have this somewhat imbalanced. And yet God has sent us, God has called us to be out in the community. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said. There are people, not everybody's receptive, but there are those who are receptive. And the problem, Jesus said, is the laborers are few. The number of people who are in this room or watching online this morning that will say, indeed, God has called me to do this, are few. The harvest is plentiful. And so we need to go and invest and invite and be open to what God might do. Be the good Samaritan who says, I'm not gonna be inconvenienced by this person because I have somewhere to be. Be Philip, who the God is drawing the Ethiopian eunuch to himself and he's ready to go and spend time with the Ethiopian eunuch. Be Jesus who invites tax collectors and sinners into his life. Some of these are gonna be the short term. Some of these are gonna be long term, but we live our lives intentionally. Now, as I'm talking about this, some of you are thinking, that seems overwhelming. And I will say this. It is hard to live sent when you live spent. It is hard to live sent when you live spent. If you're not in the word yourself, I think this will be overwhelming to you to live like this. If Jesus himself went and spent time with the Father, and if we're not doing that on our own, then I think this will become very overwhelming to us. If you're not in biblical community, it's easily to become unequally yoked. If you don't have accountability, if you don't have people encouraging you in this, if you don't have a huddle you can come to and talk about what's next, if you don't Sabbath, you don't rest in the Lord and spend intentional time with him, if you spend all of your money you're not gonna feel like you have the margin to be generous when needs come or, or do certain things. If your calendar is full. And Christy and I have been having conversations. Our, our calendar is full. We are in so many things. And we, we're doing so much good by God's grace. But we don't have time. Because of all of the church commitments and family commitments, we don't have time. Like if we're meeting people who are truly seeking the Lord to invite them into our home, to spend more time with them, like to show them who Christ is and, and we've got to reevaluate. And a lot of you, I love you, you're maxed out with your kid's schedule and all that so you can't live sin. And it's unhealthy. It's not the rhythm that we should be showing. 
to, to, to our children, but also to those people who we would invest in and invite into our life. So we invest and we invite. V, value and voice. So if we love and we listen and we invest and we invite, then we see, invite people, we see them. We see who they are. And we see their needs and their problems. And yes, we wanna help with all of their problems as best as we can. But we see ultimately as we value them that the greatest need that people have is Jesus, is to be made right with God. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is their greatest need. And, and often we don't share the gospel with people for, for various reasons. Maybe we're concerned or we have fear that the relationship will be broken. Maybe we are, are afraid of being rejected if we really say, hey, here's what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe we don't really know if we're gonna be able to answer their questions or say the right things. And, and, and among other things, and I'll, I'll tell you this, that's always going to be there. So if you're trying to get to this level of Christianity where that will never be there, then you're either deceiving yourself or you just need to hang that up. But what I would suggest to you is more important than your fear of rejection and your concern about how the relationship could break and your concern for not knowing what to say is Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? If you do not share the gospel with them, how will they hear? Will they hear? And will they ever believe? Because those who are saved believe in who Jesus is and call on his name. So we need to share the gospel. There's a quote that's passed around, and I don't, we don't actually know that anyone ever really said this quote, but it says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Here's what I would say to you. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. It is always necessary to use words. If Romans 10 is right, and it is, then it takes hearing the word of God, not just seeing someone live a good life, not just seeing a church do good deeds, not see marketing campaigns from churches, not us being friendly and nice. It takes the gospel being articulated and heard for someone to believe. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So be ready to share your story and be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to share your story, your testimony, what God has done in your life. And you might be thinking, well, I haven't been a believer that long. Well, there is a blind man who was healed by Jesus and then there's debate about who Jesus is and he says, I don't know about all that, but I know I was blind and now I see. Amen. So for some of you, it may be, I don't understand all of that about theology and denominations, but I know that I was blind and Jesus has made me see. And that's powerful. That's your testimony. As you grow, learn to articulate what God has done in your life in one minute and in five minutes. You have your elevator speech and you have your, hey, you know, maybe I have a moment to sit down at a restaurant with you or whatever it may be and talk to you about this. Maybe you have a longer version, but you probably need those because people don't even like listening to me for as long as you're listening to me right now. So you got to go quick. 
But you should be able to articulate that very clearly. But let me also say this. Your testimony is not just what God did when you were seven, or God did when you were 12, or God did when you were 21. Your testimony is who God is and what he's doing in your life now. Being a Christian isn't about something that happened one day. It's about something that happens every day. Share with people how God is working in your life. And perhaps I would just suggest this to you. If your story is just about something that happened one day, a passage, a rite of passage, I mean, whatever it may be, perhaps you have not grasped the gospel. Because if we've grasped the gospel, I just want to say this to you. There is no such thing as a boring testimony. My story of coming to faith, not growing up in a Christian home and making some mistakes that I I made, or somebody who's in their 20s and 30s and whose life was in shambles turning to Christ makes a better Hollywood movie, fine. But my son, who was baptized last year, who doesn't really have that kind of story, is still a story from death to life. That's what the gospel is. That's what happens when we believe in Jesus, whether we were young or we are old, whether we made a bunch of mistakes in the world's eyes or not. And we are sinners saved by grace. We are being sanctified and we continue to see God at work in our life. So share your story and be ready to share the gospel. There's so many methods out there. You can just Google these. Pray and say, that saves me time. Pray and say, that's a method. The Romans road is a method. Four spiritual laws Share Jesus without fear. The five-finger method is walk through who Christ was, ABC, admit, believe, confess. These are all methods. I just want to share one method with you today that I think is my favorite way of sharing the gospel other than my, just sharing my story, and that would be three circles. When you walked in, you should have received one of these. It's a little pamphlet. Now, I want to be very clear here. You don't just take this and hand this to somebody who's checking you out at the cash register or whatever. It's not a trap. I know people have been saved through tracks. God also used donkeys. I don't want to be those. So anyway, all right, that's, that's what preachers call meddling, so I shouldn't have done that. But um, I just, this is a quick way you could share the gospel. So you have a way to share the gospel. All right, so you guys go to the next slide for me, please. Um, so you start, you draw a circle. You can draw it on a napkin. There's an app. I'll show you how to get that in a minute. You could use this if you want. But God's design, God's design was that we would walk with him, that we would know him, that we would be where there's no, there's no pain, there's no suffering. I mean, again, I don't know how much time you have to talk to someone about this, but I think everybody deep down inside has this longing for something more than this earth. And so, so that's God's design for us, but we sin. Adam and Eve sin, and we all sin, and we choose not to follow God, not to honor God, not to trust him, and that leads to brokenness. We see brokenness in this world. We see it because people have sinned. But, but also, if I'm talking to you, there's probably brokenness in your life because of this. Maybe in your marriage, maybe in uh, your relationships with your children, maybe in some of the decisions you've made, but there's brokenness in your life. And the answer to that is the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that God sent his son into the world to save us from our sins and to make us right with him. But in order to believe in the God, to, to trust in the gospel, to receive the gospel, we have to repent and believe. We don't just say, okay, I want some of that, Jesus, and I'm going to keep living the way I want to live. No, something's got to change in us. 
That's what repentance means. It means to change our mind or our purpose and, and believe that God is, is the way. That's what we need in the gospel. And then once we repent and believe in the gospel, then we begin the rest of our life a recovery and a pursuit of God's design. That's what Christianity is. It's, it's, recover, it's God redeeming and recovering the things that are broken. The longer we live, the more we see that on this earth and us pursuing his design. And ultimately, we then experience that for all of eternity. That's what the gospel is. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. And in this guide, it even has, so if somebody believes that, if somebody wants that, what do you do? You know, th- th- they pray. They, they, they pray, God, forgive me for my selfishness and put my trust in you, believing that Jesus is who he is. If you, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you sincerely believe that, just pray that. Say, verbalize that. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll pray this. It's not because I pray this that's important, but if you mean this with sincerity and only time will tell if that's true, I, I don't really know that. But if you do, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then here's what you should do. You should start praying. You should start talking to God regularly. You should become a part of a, a church. With, come to my church, be a part of my church. Join my life group so that we can learn these things together. You should be in the word, learning who God is and what his design is for every of your life. And you too should share what God has done in your life. You see, if we are investing in inviting people, we have to value them. We want to meet their needs. Their greatest need is a need for the gospel. And we voice the gospel in some way into their life. There's one more slide that just shows you how you can get that app as well if you want. If you have any more questions about that, you can reach out to uh, us this week. But let me get to the last thing you do to live sin. And that is explain and equip. If you love and listen and you invest and invite and you value and voice, then you need to be ready to explain questions that people have. Paul, Paul asked for the prayer to the Colossians. Here's what he said. Look at Colossians 4, verse 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So be ready to answer questions. And don't be offended. If they don't believe in Jesus or they're a new believer and they don't know what God's word says about a bunch of stuff, don't be offended. Be provoked to point them to Jesus, to God's design. We're not in an argument here. 1 Peter 3.15, which a lot of people use to defend arguing about the faith, actually says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, so not unsolicited, for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So be ready to answer questions, especially as people begin to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but I have way more questions about what it means to be a Christian after I became a Christian. Do I really believe that? Can God really have done that? So be ready, whether it's before or after, or we don't even know if they're a believer yet, be ready. And, And I would say question them. If you're walking with them and they say, this is what I believe about such and such, like, where'd you get that from? Why do you believe that? 
I mean, have a dialogue with them. Go learn together. Read the Bible together. Go invite them to church with you to learn together, a life group to, to, to learn together. Maybe there's a believer you know who's more mature than you are, and you invite them to learn from that believer. I'm telling you that nothing grows you in your walk like when you're doing this. There's a myth that maturity in Christ is attending a bunch of classes. Then you can finally get to the level where you go out and share the gospel. Here's what I would tell you. There are few things that motivate you to study God's word more than being his messenger. For me, when I'm around people that have questions and are non-believers, I want to know what God's word says so I don't give them my stupid answer. I want to give them God's word. I want to be his messenger. I want to speak what he has to say. And so if we're only prepared to share the word with believers, we're imbalanced. You and I were designed. The abundant life is when we are living sent. I shared in our life group a few weeks ago that I think most Christians approach the Christian life like a football team that goes to the huddle, talks about the play, talks about how we should live in our life, and then just stays in the huddle and never goes out and actually executes what God has called us to do. It should be we go out, we come back to the huddle, I really screwed up this time, and we go back out and we talk about how we're going to do this next. I'm just speaking from personal experience. That's how we live the Christian life. And Romans 10, 15 says, and how are they, how are they to preach unless they're sent? The Spirit has sent you. Jesus said, I will be with you always as you go and make disciples. So I'm telling you, you're sent. You don't need me to tell you that, but I'm just encouraging you that you're sent. And how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that should be the goal. That we equip people to live sent. The goal you should have for the people in your life is for them also to live sent and experience the life that God wants for them. If I'm a leader or you're a leader in our church and this isn't our goal, I mean this with kindness. We don't have the same goals as Jesus. So why are we leading people? Representing him. This is his goal for our lives. That we live sent. So we love, let me recap this, we love and we listen. We invest and we invite into our life. We value people. And so we voice the answer to their greatest need. And we explain and we equip them to live the life that God has called them to live and to know that they too are sent. If you're here this morning, and as I talked about those three circles, there's brokenness in your life. You, you see where your sin has led you. Repent and believe in the gospel and you'll be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's a promise to you today. And church, I want us to respond with a commitment to be aware 
of those in our community who are without Christ and to be the workers of the harvest and for that to be what unifies us as a church. So I have some friends uh, that I've invited to come and, and just lead us in a time of prayer. So Jordan Renna and Jack Thomas and Jeff Waits are going to come and they're just going to lead us in a time of prayer and, and as they pray, may, we, may these be prayers that we echo uh, in our seats and our hearts right now. So thank you and if you guys would lead us in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this gathering. I thank you for the fellowship of the believers that are here with us, that are in this building, that are, that are watching online. And Lord, I pray that the message that we've heard today, the message that we've been um, hearing for the past few months, that it will speak to our hearts, that we will be the feet, that we will walk out into the community, that we will speak to those that we see wherever we may go today, Lord, that as we go into our places of work, our offices, as our young people go into our classrooms around this community, that we will stand in your word. Lord, that we will stand up as witnesses for you, that we will use our hands as well, that we will serve those around us, that we will listen, we'll open our hearts, Lord, open our homes and make invitations and have conversations because there are so many in this community that are broken. Lord, in those places where we go, we're going to meet them. Even in our own homes, we know that we have those that are, that are seeking and searching for, for fulfillment, for some form of happiness, for something to fill the void in their lives. And we know that that's you. We know that you are the answer. And Lord, I pray that, that as we go forth today, that we will walk in obedience to what we've been taught, to what we've heard, to what we've read, to what we've studied, to what we've prayed about, to the answers that you've given us, and that we will reveal you as the answer to those who are seeking in this, in this area. Father, when you left this earth, you left instructions for us to carry on the ministry that you had established. But Father, there are so few workers, so equip us, that we can bring about a change in the hearts of all. Father, scripturally, we are commanded to let our light shine before others, that they may see our good works and glorify you in heaven, Father. Father, each one here today received a gift this morning. We received the gift of life, but not a life to be squandered, it's a life to be shared, to reach out, to serve, to love and accept others as they are and where they are in life. Father, may we never underestimate your power or the influence that our words and actions have on others we meet, whether it's at work or play, in leisure, and study the coffee shop. Father, may they come to know you, to love you, to accept you, and the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because someone was willing to live sent. 
Father, may we all come to share our gift with others. And may we find our place of service, of which there are many, not only here at Church on Bayshore, but wherever we're led to help build and grow the kingdom. Father, help us to live the Christian life in daring faith and humble trust. I love you. Church family, as we lift up a prayer of unity this morning, I pray that you will just imagine that our, our whole congregation is locked, has our arms locked together as we lift up this prayer to God. Dear Lord, never in my life has there been more divisiveness and, and lack of union, unity in this, in this country, Lord. May we as your church be a stark contrast to this disunity by showing Christ's likeness to a lost and divided and confused world. Lord, with humility and gentleness and patience, may we be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. May your body, the church, be unified as we live since, showing one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Lord Jesus, we're all different, but we're not divided if we keep our eyes on you. You prayed for us to be one, just as you and the Father are one, so that the world will believe. Forgive us where we have failed to show this heart of unity that you prayed and you died for. We thank you for giving us the church where we can go out together, arms locked, to make disciples of you. Lord Jesus, protect us, strengthen us step by step as we move out of our comfort zones, knowing we are not alone, for we have you. And Lord, we have each other. As we go out as many individuals into our communities, our workplaces, to build relationships, may the world see one thing and one thing only, Lord, and that is you. Amen. <laughs>